The people of Meiji-era Japan are plagued by monsters and demons called the Yokai. These demons are fought by the secretive and masked Yokai Hunter Society. You are summoned to the mountains to investigate the disappearance of a fellow hunter. Join us for a game of Yokai Hunter Society with Yorin playing Yokai Hunter Keito Hashiro and Adam as the Grandmaster. If you'd like to contact us or find links to our Discord and Patreon, you can find us on Twitter at twin underscore cities underscore VTM and on Facebook as Twin Cities by Night. We hope you enjoy. What's up, everybody? I'm here with Jorin, and we're going to be playing Yokai Hunter Society, a punk game dug by goons. Something I discovered recently on a, an Ichio bundle and I thought it looked very cool so I uh, wanted to give it a give it a try with my friend here. One thing before we start, I'm not very well versed in this particular period of time or, or this particular culture so I just want to apologize in advance for anything I, I get wrong or, or mispronounce or, or say that's, uh, that's not right so getting that out of the way. We'll rolled up a character here. Pretty cool process that the uh, book has laid out here. So we have basically like a character generation table here. And we're going to do some D6 rolls to figure out who, who this adventure is going to be about. Just some background about the game. The game is about demon hunters in Meiji era Japan. So like late. 1800s Japan. The characters are part of like a secret society of demon hunters. So with that in mind, we'll go ahead and see see what we're playing here. So I basically roll a bunch, a couple times, four times, 4d6. So far I've rolled two traits, which are mean and playful. Uh, My next one is my occupation, which is going to be a farmer. Then we go to the surname, which is going to be Kato. Then the first name, which is going to be Hashiro. And that also means that I will be playing a man today. And last but not least on this table will be my age, which is 26. So now that I have my character ready, or almost ready, because I forgot to note down that I have 3d6 Sen, which is the money unit that I'm going to roll later, I get to choose one item that is linked to me being a farmer and two free items for which I roll more dice, 2d8 to be precise. For the first one, I get a box of 50 matches. Always good to have. Two of them are related to your occupation and then one you roll on the table. And then you roll wisdom for each item to set their bonuses. So that kind of brings us to our next part. We, have, we, we only have a few stats in this game. There's wisdom, courage, self-control, sharpness. So you have four points to distribute between those, I believe. Correct. Okay, so I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. What was the, what was the item that you rolled? I rolled a box of matches. And for my farmer item, I took a scythe. And my second farmer item, I'm still considering. But going over my points, I have four points to distribute over four stats. I'm going to put two into courage. I'm going to put 
one into wisdom and one into self into self control, which means that I have no points in sharpness. And then the courage relates to my hit points, which is eight plus courage, making my my hit points ten. And curse resistance is two plus self control, making my curse resistance three. Excellent. Oh, one last thing. Did you want to roll to see what type of mask you wear? Heck yes, I want to roll what type of mask I wear. What do I roll for that? Roll 1d6 and 1d8. And then total the result? Ah, yes. That makes it a 5 for my mask. Okay, so that is the kitsune, a fox mask. I also want to point out that all of the traditional mask options on this uh, traditional masks table are very cool. There's demon masks, all kinds of cool stuff. Twisted mouth mask, monkeys, vindictive warrior, spirit of a woman, red faced drunken spirit. Like they're all very cool. So my three items will be a scythe, a box of 50 matches and a piece of rope. Okay, that's excellent. So next we'll roll wisdom to figure out what our bonuses are going to be on each of these items in our possession. And this is a pretty cool thing. It kind of determines like what the quality of the item is, what kind of deal you got. And uh, it just basically determines what kind of bonus you're going to get when you use that item in, in game. This game uses 2d6 to determine most things. Things have a base difficulty rating of 10. So it is kind of very hard to to land a 10. Uh, but if you land a 9, you succeed, but with trouble. Um, and the, the somewhere in this book here, it kind of explains why like 9 is, is significant. And that's part of the reason why with 9, you succeed with a setback. So uh, rolling 2d6, it is very hard to get above 10. Uh, that's why the the bonuses can uh, be pretty helpful. Yeah. So rolling my three, a 2d6 plus one, I have a bonus 12 for my scythe, bonus eight when using my matches, and a bonus six when using my rope. And so you just add your bonus to your uh, roll, essentially, right? When you're, when you're rolling? Yes, that's as far as I have understood it as well. So yeah, that box of matches, very high quality matches. Like really good stuff. So I think that's it as far as the character creation part of it goes. Um, It's pretty quick to just get a character up and running and to basically get a different character every time. Yes, it is very quick. There is also a very good way to summarize your character, which is I am and then your two traits, your occupation, who, and then something from your past and a goal. So I quickly wrote down something from my past and a goal for myself, which makes Hashio Kato a mean and playful farmer who left home on a whim and seeks an eventful life. Yes. Thank you for, thank you for remembering that. That's awesome. And that's actually a very cool character concept. I really like it. So now that we have our character figured out here, we're going to start off. It's a summer day in 1889. You're tending to your, to your farm right now, as you always do. You are by yourself 
almost in a meditative state as you tend to the farm. Uh, what do you what do you grow on your farm? I think we just go traditional and say that I grow rice. So you're tending to your rice farm, and you uh, what did what did you roll for currency, by the way? A whopping four. Okay, so you have a you have a pretty meager rice farm. It's certainly not the biggest one, but it's still something that you're very proud of. And you're used to taking care of the farm by yourself for the most part. Uh, is there anybody else here that like helps you? Do you have like a wife or a family or anything like that? Well, I left from home on a whim, so maybe that was to follow a girl who lives close by, but not with me currently. But we're seeing each other. The hours are passing and you're deeply invested in your work when you hear a sound behind you. You turn to see a man standing before you. He's dressed head to toe in black robes and he wears wooden sandals on his feet. On his face is a strange mask. It appears to be of a monkey. You know this man. This man is Ken Nakamura, and he is one of the first people you came into contact with when you became a member of the Yokai Hunter Society. I'm sorry to disturb you, Hichiro. Um, no problem at all. Um, can I help you with something? I have important business to discuss. Is it possible that we go inside? Yes, 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 of, of course. Uh, please. And I will lead him to my home. So from what you know about Ken, he's somewhat of a very mean and greedy man. But he was your first connection into the Yokai Hunter Society. And through him, you've started to try to achieve the exciting life that you always hoped for. He calls you, calls you into, into privacy when you guys are inside by yourselves. And you see he's kind of looking around to make sure that the coast is completely clear before he takes his mask off. And you can see he has a quite a large scar across his face. And he kneels down and begins opening his bag. He takes out a canteen and drinks from it. I have something somewhat unpleasant to share with you. More unpleasant than what we did to the neighbors last week? Two mean guys. You guys get along so well. I'm afraid there's some trouble in the mountain town to the north. The yokai activity over there has gone unattended as one of our hunters appears to be missing. We fear that the yokai activity over there may be greater than we originally predicted. And we're worried that this hunter may be compromised. Oof. Yeah, that does sound worse than what we did to the neighbors last week. Uh, who was it that was stationed there, if I may ask? One of our youngest hunters, Yuri Hayashi. She's just a child. She lived in the mountain town, so we thought it best if she could perhaps deal with what was going on there. It appears children were going missing, and we feared that a demon was taking them. But she hasn't, she hasn't uh, met the arrangements and, and uh, contacted us. And we haven't heard back from that town in months. Frankly, we have no idea what's going on over there. We need you to figure out the source of the disappearances and figure out where Yuri is if she's still alive. Take her back if you can. But if she's compromised, you know what you have to do. 
And at that, my my face actually goes a bit grim. I know exactly what I have to do. And it may be mean, but it's that's not what I like to do at all. Don't want to hurt people actively. But that is all internal. And I will turn to, to him and say, yes, I know. It will be done. Do you have the means to take care of this task? Do you need a weapon? Any kind of disguise or cover? I believe I have everything I need right here. Then I trust you'll take care of this. And he bows and he walks out the door. And when you look after him, he's just gone. Yeah, that's just what he does. He pops up and he disappears. I walk to some stables that I have, uh, gather an old sheet, an old sheet that I can possibly drape over myself as a sort of a disguise. Definitely grabbing my scythe with me because it's it's sharp. And the cloak actually also helps disguise that a little bit. Like it helps hide it because walking around with the scythe is is not great if you don't want to stand out too much. At the same time, though, it probably blends in better than a sword or a gun because uh, it's probably easier to... And and you're you're not even really... You're not pretending because you are a farmer. So, you know, it, it would make perfect sense for you to have this item, but probably people don't know what you what you do with it, which is probably for the better. Yeah, true. And back up in the mountains, there's also less farmers around. And I like, okay, I am a farmer and a farmer has his side, but having a little bit of a disguise and not say, oh yeah, by the way, I am the yokai from downtown or like from in the valley might, yeah, that might be a smart idea to keep that a little bit hidden. No, absolutely. You know which town he's referring to. It's a very rural mountain town, a few miles to the north. It's it's within a, a long walk's distance. Maybe you might have to camp overnight, but uh, it's certainly a place that people can walk to because it's maybe one or two villages over. And you know it as this very rural mountain town, and uh, it has a fishing industry, but it's kind of been forgotten as the world progresses and like this, this village is kind of left in the dust. It's kind of uh, left in its old ways. And so it's this very small, sleepy, foggy town. Would it be reasonable to assume I have some food around that I can take with me? Because if so, I really want to take some food with me as well, especially if I have to spend the night somewhere in between my place and the town. As a rice farmer, absolutely. I would say that uh, you would be able to, uh, let's see, I think like onigiri is on the list maybe. I would say that you would be able to make uh, onigiri for yourself to bring with you because I feel like that that would actually make a lot of sense and that would be a smart idea for a long trip on foot. Presumably on foot. I'm assuming you're going to just make the the hike there. Yeah, it's not like I have money to pay for a carriage or a bicycle or whatever else. Yeah, so I'll say uh, you can make as however many onigiri as you want to bring with you. Uh, You're a rice farmer and you have a obviously a good supply of rice because that's your main source of income. Uh, but they will take up your item slots. And like when you pass a certain amount of items on your 
equipment list, you begin to take uh, penalties for, for those items. So just keep that in mind as well. Yeah, then I'll make four onigiri and that leaves me with one extra open item slot just in case I find something. Is there anything else that Hishiro is going to do before before taking off on, on this adventure? I'm going to post a little note on my door. Uh, or actually, no, not on my door. Underneath the mat in front of my door. Because the girl that lives close by knows that if I don't open up, there might be a note there on where I am. And the note will just be reading something like, I'll be back in a couple of days. Is this with, his like girlfriend or? Yeah, sort of. Not officially because he has never asked her father for anything yet. But that's still in the future plans. Also, the note will have a date because otherwise leaving such a note is no use. Right, exactly. Yeah, good plan. We'll say by this point, having prepared all of that food, it's now nighttime. Do you decide to start your journey at night or do you wait until morning? Uh, what are your thoughts on, on traveling the road at this time? Traveling at night has a couple of advantages and disadvantages. The main advantage is that nobody will see me leave. Uh, nobody will get a, the chance to get a glimpse of my mask. The main downside is that I might get into trouble. But I think I think Hashiro uh, will still leave almost immediately after he's done. So you're, you leave your farm and you're walking down this dirt road at night. And for a while, while you're still in town, you can see a few people passing by. A few uh, occasionally, you'll pass like a few drunkards that are maybe just wandering home, or you'll see another farmer wheeling something back home to his farm who just happened to be out working too late. But for the most part, it's very quiet, and you can hear these crickets as you walk at your calm pace down this dirt road into what you know is a forest and a forest that you know has had yokai activity in the past. So you're always on your guard when you, when you go to this place. So the fact that this forest is somewhat fast approaching is beginning to cross your mind. You pass probably the last townsperson you think that you're going to see and you feel where your mask is. Do you wear the mask as you advent, as you uh, as you traverse this road, or do you only put on the mask when you take care of of yokai? Or how do how do you view the the mask and the hiding of the identity when you when you do this type of thing? Um, I see the mask as such. I will not wear it wear it in town because these townspeople know me. They know who I am, and it might it will give away my identity, which is not a good thing to do. But as I walk up to the forest, I will at least have a hand on my mask. And when I enter the forest, I will wear the mask because the yokai don't need to see my face. Right, exactly. And you know, the townspeople, they're somewhat aware of yokai hunters based on rumors and such, but they don't necessarily think highly of them. They kind of see them as outcasts or trouble or maybe even being mystics themselves. So there's not really, there wouldn't really be like a, a good reason to go around advertising that because it would probably mean people would 
you know, think, think negatively of you, or you might even be like persecuted for it. So it is something that you would probably want to keep like a secret part of your identity. But at the same time, uh, it is a valuable tool for protecting your identity against demons and against, uh, you know, against anybody really. So you begin to get close to this forest and it appears to be more dark than you had originally thought because as you get closer to all of these dense trees it blocks out a little bit of the open space that was providing light to you previously but still there's this dirt road that travels through the forest and connects these few adjoining towns and it's areas that you're comfortable with because you've lived in this you've lived in in this town for probably a while but you're familiar with this area. You're comfortable with the trails and, and you have a decent direction sense about you. You feel somewhat comfortable, even though it is getting very hard to, to see in the dark. And it's like very obfuscated at this point. Yeah. Despite that, I will just keep moving on, feeling safe behind my mask. Maybe with a hand on my back where my scythe is, is stored just so I can whip it, whip it out when I need it. And so you continue walking for several hours along this lone dirt road. And it's this very narrow road. If another traveler was coming the opposite direction, you would have to stand to the side so that, so that he could pass. It's, it's like very narrow. Like if uh, a cart was going down it, there would only be room for one cart to go down essentially. There's no two-way traffic on this road. It's a very solitary dirt road. And you've been walking for several hours and it's just been nothing but silence and the sounds of the crickets. And you hear ahead of you a branch break and it's alarming. And you're not sure if it could be some of the wildlife from the forest or if it could be something worse. But it sounds like it happened about 20 feet ahead of you. Hmm. So as I approach closer and closer, I will reduce the, my walking speed a little bit to be able to listen more fully to, the, to my surroundings. And I will definitely be wary of whatever is going on over there. Can I roll sharpness to get yes. more insight? I was just going to say, uh, yes, give me a sharpness check. That's a 10. Oh, excellent. So you can see ahead of you in the bushes, although it's extremely dark, you see the shine of what appears to be a human's bald head hiding, looking out at you with a very scared expression on his face. And he sees that you notice him and he immediately jumps out with his hands out. And you can see it's this elderly man uh, wearing a monk's attire. His head is completely bald and his face is covered in wrinkles and he jumps out of the bushes and he has his hands up kind of like this. And he's just like, please, please. Reflexively, I grab my scythe a little tighter, but I don't pull it out yet. And I say, well, good evening, sir. What are we doing in the forest so late? Oh, thank goodness I found you. I need you to escort me to the, to the next temple. There's... There's monsters in these woods. It's lucky that I come, come across a hunter. 
has your mother never told you that you never ever walk the woods in darkness alone? And you can smell very strong scent of alcohol on him. I simply lost track of time. So Adam, do I know where the nearest temple is? And is that by chance on my route? Um, I would say give me a wisdom check to see if you're familiar with the with the temple. You don't know if it's on route or if he's going to be kind of pulling you along in a different direction, but you as, you're it's assumed that he knows where the temple is. Not sure how helpful that is. I rolled a six, so that's a failure. You're not sure what temple he's talking about. It could he could mean back over in your town. It could mean maybe one in the town that you're headed. It, it could be something completely separate. So you're not really sure how to take his request. Yeah, sure. I'm heading that way to the closest town. You can follow me if you want. Oh, thank you. Bless you. I don't have much much send to give you, but and he, he, you see him, he's um, digging into like a small pouch on his belt. Well, just give me whatever you can spare and we'll call it even. Maybe pay for my food in the next town over. Let's see if he can. One sec. I'm just rolling really quick. Me as a player just wants to refuse that money so badly. Yeah. So he like, he just empties out six sen and they, they kind of just like a few of them fall out of his hands and, and he goes to pick them up off the ground and he's holding them up to you like this and his hands are shaking. And you can just see that he's like trembling on his knees, just begging you to protect him. I take the sen from him look down on him, say, well, this will do, I guess. We must be careful. The swamps, they they have kappa. They eat humans. And you know that there is a swamp further ahead on this trail. It's about an hour and a half away. So you're relieved to hear that he was at least headed in the direction that you're going. But that is still concerning to you to hear him say that. And you hadn't heard reports of that type of activity recently, but still it's it's something concerning. Uh, and you know about Kappa. They are like basically these toddler-sized turtle men, and they dwell in swamps. And it says they like uh, cucumbers and human flesh. We can't cross the swamp. I haven't brought an offering. Surely they'll eat me. Yeah. And I didn't bring any cucumbers. Adam, do I know if there is a way around the swamp? Give me a, a wisdom check just to just to like figure out how uh, well-versed in the area you are. We'll say there's probably ways around. I just want to see how, if you know about them. So I rolled a nine, which means that I succeed, but I have a consequence. Excellent. So you do know a way around the swamp, but it's a very, very overgrown patch of of forest and it's it's very hard to traverse but it will cut directly around the swamp so you wouldn't have to worry about any potential dangers of the swamp you don't think that there would be any dangers in this area but you know it's going to be extremely difficult to traverse because of how overgrown it is and there's just a lot of like rocks and and very close together, dense trees in the way. So it's hard to walk there. Also, you're kind of concerned that this old man will have trouble traversing it as well. But you are confident that it would provide you safety from any potential threats that the swamp might have. Yeah, I do think that I am going for the 
overgrown root. If anything, I can try and cut down a couple of the younger trees using my scythe. Yeah, actually, your scythe would probably really come in handy in that terrain. So yeah, that probably might not be as big of an issue as it could have been. So you start to take a detour when you find yourself kind of approaching the area where you know the swamp is ahead. And you even begin to start smelling that marshy kind of dank swamp smell uh, that lets you know that you're very close to the swamp. But you begin to head east instead and you guys start cutting through this very dense section of woods. And you see there's a lot of these very small young trees that are extremely close together. And there's certain parts where you find yourself having to kind of wedge through these uh, bushes and trees. And there's no trail to be seen. Uh, You're going on pure direction sense at this point. Uh, But you do know enough about the area to know that continuing on this route will bring you back to the road again. It will bring you back to the road again, past where the swamp was. Okay, so then we head down that road. Uh, I do turn around and say, I hope you can climb a little bit because not wanting to face the Kappas is a good thing, but the alternative is going to be slightly more difficult than traversing the swamp, despite the Kappas, of course. These old bones still have some fight in them. I promise I'll be able to meet whatever challenge we face. But can we please stop and rest soon? And you see, he's like, he's he's a very brittle old man. You would probably guess he's in his 80s. Um, He has this kind of longer gray beard as well. And his head is just completely shiny bald. And he is like very small in stature. But he's still following behind you and... You know, he's he's making all the steps. He seems to be keeping up somewhat, although he is a little slower. And he hasn't been complaining for the most part. He's been silent, you know, just holding his prayer beads and uh, walking behind you. I turn around and I sigh deeply. Yes, we can. Once we are past this bush, oh, this bunch of trees over here, because we are super close to the swamp at the moment. So if we don't want to attract, attract any attention from the Kappas and get them over here, we cannot currently stop. So you guys continue through this area of the woods. And if this man was by himself, he would not be able to have the direction sense to just continue on without getting turned around or getting lost. But this area is home to you and you feel very comfortable in your direction sense. So you just press on through the night and it's uh, the sun is rising as, as the section of woods that you guys are in begins to clear up a little bit. And you notice that the trees begin to seem less dense as you approach them. And you find yourself in a more open space of woods. And eventually you're able to just, continue right back onto the road and it's morning at this point and the sun is rising through the trees and you see the old man he has this look on his face like he's just very relieved to have made it through the night and he's just like praising the the sunrise and he's just like very happy he's just continuously thanking you and thanking you yeah yeah you can stop the thanks we're not out of the woods just yet 
so we are now back at the normal road, which we can just follow. Do you still need to rest? Yes, I just just a quick rest. My temple isn't that much further. True. Sure. We can sit down on this log over here. You guys sit down on a log. Um, he doesn't ask for food or water or anything. He merely wanted to catch his breath and, and rest his legs. He has been walking through the entire night, which, of course, is like pretty intense. You've definitely covered, you know, you've, you've made some, some miles this night. But, you know, just the fear and the adrenaline kept him going through all of it. And you see now that that fear is finally subsided now that he's seen the sunrise and he's confident that he's out of the woods, so to speak. He's just like resting and he's relieved. Would you show me your face? Would I be wearing my mask if I wanted to be wanted everybody to see my face? Please, I'm just an old monk. I can keep a secret. I wouldn't have anybody to tell. And I just laugh at that a little bit. Yes, you may be an old monk, but we are still in a yokai forest. I'm on business. Mask stays on, period. And he he drops it, but you see him. He's just staring at you in like amazement and horror. Like the mask is very intriguing to him, but it also frightens him at the same time. And you get the sense that he almost wants to see you to like put his put his fears to rest or something like you know this he wants to see that like you know there is like a human behind there but like he's just like he lets it go he's just like okay before long you guys are you know he's done resting and you guys get up to begin walking again and after about another two hours of walking you know it's starting to get a little bit warmer as the sun uh, rises higher and he's like, my temple, it's right over here. Oh, thank you so much for escorting me. Would you like to come inside? I can, I can give you some food, some, some rest. Please, let me, let me repay you for what you've done for me. I don't need to rest per se, but I will never say no to food. And he brings you down a side trail, uh, one that you may have seen but never really like checked out before. And there's like a different kind of like small shrines along this small road, different like Buddhist shrines uh, where people have left offerings. And you see that there's like some candles. They're not lit at the moment, but you see where there's some candles that maybe at night this path would be lit as kind of like a sanctuary or always uh, well-maintained, like in reverence of of it being like a, a, a Buddhist temple and it's like very uh, well-maintained. So he's bringing you down this path and you even see like certain parts of this path have wooden planks that you walk on and it's like much more pleasant on your feet. You begin to get this like peaceful wave wash over you as you're walking this long path to his temple. And when you get to the temple, it's this very small and quaint Buddhist temple and there's, you see one or two monks outside. They're just working, cleaning and maintaining the, the temple. And the monk that you're walking with, he greets them. And they, they look at your mask and they're kind of like alarmed for a second, but then they just go back to, to doing what they're doing. And they don't seem to pay any mind to the fox mask. And he guides you up into the entrance of this temple. And the two of you take your shoes off and you go inside. And he sits you down immediately like the, 
the vibe of this place. It's very quiet. Uh, as soon as you get off this road and you go inside, there's just like complete like silence in there from the people that are in there. They're not like talking or anything like that. They're just working on things silently. Uh, you see like a monk inside where you are and he's like quiet and study. And the man that you escorted sits you down inside and he excuses himself for a moment. And he's gone for several minutes. And when he comes back, he brings uh, two bowls of food and he brings a bottle of sake for you two to enjoy. And I think that that is the moment where this monk will at least see half of my face. I will take a glass of sake because customary and just being polite in that way. Uh, and I will eat the food, but I will not completely get myself drunk. So it will be one glass and one glass only. And you'll see he smiles warmly at you when you take the when you take the drink of sake. He's just like looking at you enthusiastically, hoping that you'll eat this very warm bowl of rice that's in front of you. And he set out the same thing for himself. And uh, he's hungry. He he does eat his as well. But he uh, he's more so just interested in you and just watching you. He begins to talk. Uh, about the temple and he's just like you know i've i've lived at this temple for most of my life just maintaining it it's like a very peaceful place it's a, a sanctuary to those in the area you know others may not understand your profession but i do respect what you do you keep the villages safe you keep the the roads at night safe for people like me people who find themselves in unfortunate situations yes i don't mean to be entirely rude to my host, but may I ask, how did you get lost on the other side of the swamp? If this temple is so close to the forest, it must feel like your home. You see, it's very embarrassing. Such a nice day. I was spending time in the cave down there and I ended up getting too drunk. I fell asleep and by the time I woke up from my nap, it was already well into the night. I know the legends of this place, and I was lucky to find you because surely the spirits would have taken me if I had tried to get home by myself. The forest is extremely dangerous. I've seen the things myself, ogres and spirits. At night, anything can happen out there. Exactly, which is why I am usually around. Just don't make it a habit to get lost in the forest the dark. Out of character, I'm trying to figure out um, how the rituals work because it says you can do a favor for a monk for um, in exchange for a ritual. But I want to see like what what that is, like what you know, like what kind of blessing that really is. Well, um, I know that you can regain curse resistance points if you visit a sacred place and and pay the cost of the cleanse. But that's something else, I think. Okay, how about this? So you eat and uh, you have your drink and he talks to you and he expresses his appreciation for what you do. And we'll say that he blesses your scythe. And so your scythe is going to have uh, a plus one to it uh, from the monk's blessing in addition to whatever bonuses it currently has. And so he offers you to stay for as long as you'd like, stay, stay the day, stay the night, surely rest until you're able to continue your journey 
you know, you can stay here and study, I can show you the the things that I know. And, you know, he's just like going on and on. He's very uh, fascinated by who you are. And like, you get the sense that he would talk to you forever just to just to learn more, just to see what your identity is. It's an uh, intrigue to him. I will stay there a couple hours to rest up a little bit, maybe take a quick nap because I too have traveled through the night and I was working on the farm only yesterday. So I can take a little rest. I will be a little evasive when he talks to, or when he asks too much about my personal identity and about what I do and that kind of stuff. I'm going to ask him one thing, and that is, what do you know about spirits of the mountains? He looks at you somewhat distressed. Over the course of my old lifetime, I've seen many spirits in these woods. These are a very spiritually active place. But I think I believe I know why you're here. You seek information on the disappearances on the children. Correct. It is my suspicion that the town in the north is haunted by a rain woman, an Ameana. You know that this is a type of yokai that particularly haunts dark streets and, and alleys you know, appears on mostly uh, rainy days and nights. And this begins to make sense to you because you, you begin to think about how it's been a particularly wet season these past few months. It's rained almost every day. And uh, you think about how this is kind of, this kind of aligns with the way the weather has been. And you know that this is like a type of hag that travels the streets at night when it's raining and when it's foggy. And they kidnap children. They steal them. Do I happen to know what they do with the children? It's presumed that the children are just spirited away into wherever. Nobody knows for sure. There is another rumor that you've heard. And it's that mothers who have had their children stolen occasionally can become ameana themselves. The grief of their lost newborn child is so disturbing to them that it transforms them into these depraved, haggish yokai as well. Hmm. I thank the monk for his hospitality and with this new, well, with new energy from the rest and with this new information, I will head on my way towards the town. So you gather up your things again. Um, he, had, he had put you up into this kind of like a small room that they had for, you know, probably like an extra room because all the monks do sleep in this temple as well. And they reside here, but he put you in a room that was relatively private. So you wouldn't be, you know, seen without your mask and, you know, you wouldn't have to sleep like with your mask on your face. He just, you know, he, he understood the arrangement at that point and he put you somewhere private and left you undisturbed. You know, with that bit of information, he sees you off. And you see him uh, standing in the doorway, uh, waving goodbye to you as you continue on the trail again. And you hop back on the trail, you start walking down the dirt road, and you know you should reach the mountain town by nightfall. And it's a later afternoon at this point. The road is still quiet. You don't see any travelers. Um, you hear birds and you hear bugs and just like the different sounds of the forest but it's still relatively peaceful. And you're actually feeling quite relaxed from having just stayed at this very serene temple. And 
you continue down the path for a few hours and you're just like carrying on at like a leisurely pace and you see the sun is like starting to go down when you can see the mountain town in the distance and there's just this heavy layer of fog that you can see just rising above the mountain town and you begin to feel this wetness as raindrops begin to fall onto your onto your head and uh you know it starts off as just a few drops and then it grows in intensity until it's raining quite heavily now and it appears very dark and you hear thunder and lightning and the rain is just growing in intensity like almost monsoon level rains you feel it starting to pull up where your feet are and you're almost like ankle deep at this point as the the grass is starting to flood in this downpour I don't like this. Do I know whether the rain, rain woman can also create more rain? So that like this level of rain might actually feel unnatural. From what you know, they can't create rain, but it's rumored that they actually feed on rain. So you from your understanding of it and from what other people in the society have told you they seek rainy places because it sustains them it gives them what they need to to do what they do like it's it's more likely that they would be drawn to rainy places than the cause of this type of weather okay i'll try and make my way to the middle of town so you continue on the road and it's it's still raining quite hard but you're able to uh you know just press on you're just really craving something to like hold over your head to just stop this barricading rain that is just coming down uh with increased intensity your clothes are completely soaked at this point and you feel them like slicked to your body and everything just feels very heavy as you trudge on towards the center of town and you can see it ahead of you quite clearly now it looks like it's probably about 10-15 minutes away and you continue to walk and and you start to even see like the shapes of people in town as you get closer as you approach the the main entrance to town you see this uh kind of large it's not quite a bridge but you see that the land kind of on both sides is like this swampy lake and uh you see like there's like a few men that are that are fishing on this uh on this like this swampy river that kind of runs before the entrance of town and they kind of look at you you see that they see the mask and they quickly just look down to to fishing and just doing what they were doing they're just like they try to act like they didn't even see you uh they're wearing these very large straw hats that seems to be blocking out uh some of the like intense rain that's coming down and you see next to them there's a a large bucket of water that occasionally they'll throw a live fish into this is like the ideal time to go out and catch a uh, fish because it's you know the rain's so active so yes i will actually go up to them the more they try to look down the more i want to go up to them and talk to them So you approach these two fishermen and you you can hear like this whispering as you're approaching them and it grows frantic as you grow closer. You can't distinguish what they're saying, 
but you can tell that they're talking about you coming closer and you can hear they're just like, you know, it gets more frantic as you get closer and then it just stops completely as they're just silent as you, as you approach them. And you see, they're just fishing with their backs turned to you. One man pulls his hat down to cover most of his face and he just kind of leans in. He's, he's kneeling down and you just see he kind of like puts his head close to his chest and kind of like tucks in while holding the fishing rod. And they're just silent. As one of them throws a fish in the bucket behind them, I will actually go in and snatch it before it hits the bucket and just toss it back and forth between my hands a little bit when I say, gentlemen, what a nice evening do we have? I have a couple questions. Would you mind answering them? You see, when you grab the fish, the man who was attempting to, to put it into the bucket, he jumps up alarmed and he's just like, go ahead and take the fish. You can have it. We don't want any trouble, Hunter. Oh, I don't want any trouble either. I'm just here to ask some questions. Thank you for the fish. Now, I wonder, has have you seen a new face in town recently? You mean like one of yours? Not exactly like one of mine. But if there's a new one of mine in town, I'd like to meet them. You see the other fisherman, he, he's still uh, sitting down with his head kind of tucked into his chest, fishing. And you can't see his face because he's wearing this wide hat and he's wearing these uh, straw, like this straw, like clothing on top. And, you know, it's very hard to see his face, but he speaks up. And he's like, maybe a month or so back, I saw a young woman with a red mask. Ah, so you have seen a new face in town. Do you happen to remember her name? No, I didn't ask her her name. I was out here fishing at night when I saw her. She was a young woman, long hair, very beautiful. But when I saw the mask, it was this horrible red mask of a goblin. Frightened me. This is the only time I ever saw her. It wasn't long after that things became much worse here. My son, he disappeared just like many other children in this town have. This is a cursed place. Most days I can't even catch enough fish to feed my family. And it rains all the time. Never stops raining. And you see there's like this fog that's just slowly rising. And it makes it so you can't really see very far in front of you at all. I see. Well... I hope my mask is more pleasing than the goblin mask. Who could say no to such a pretty face like mine? But that's a topic for a different time. Do you remember you said you saw her somewhere around town? Can you be a little bit more specific? It was right here, close to where you're standing now. I was just fishing at night and that was it. I don't know what business she had here, but she seemed to only bring more trouble. And I don't know what trouble you plan to bring here, but... Just take whatever you want and leave. I, got, I came here to release you of some trouble and maybe maybe get some kids back. I don't know. I heard there's been a couple of them missing. So she stood where I stand now. Hmm. I cannot imagine that your eyes, your all-seeing eyes, didn't happen to follow what direction she took. So where did she go off to? I lost her in the fog. I, I swear. 
She wore a long black robe, and I could see she had a, a long rifle with her. I don't know what such a young woman would be doing carrying a weapon like that. It's practically bigger than her. Does this whole description remind me of of Yuri? Um, definitely. You you heard that that was the mask that she wore, like a red goblin mask. Um, you didn't really know much about her other than she is a young woman. Uh, you've never seen her before. Uh, but you do like know about rumors of other hunters and stuff like that. More than likely, if you've seen other hunters, they're always wearing a, a mask. But you've heard of, of her and her red goblin mask. And she's exceptionally well known because of the fact that she's so young. Um, I actually used this. I didn't roll for her age. I used the lowest age on the table, which is 18. So um, just like a very young person doing this type of, of thing in a, in a rural mountain town. Based on what you learned from Ken, she lived in this town. So she is like native to this town. She wasn't traveling here or anything like that. Okay. So I go, I face him one more time, or at least I face the back of him and say, even in the mist, there is still a direction that a person goes in. Disappearing in the mist is not a direction. What direction did the girl travel to? The other fisherman chimes in. Maybe he was visiting the haunted cave. Maybe the missing kids are their payment to the Oni, to the goblins. Maybe that's what it takes to keep our town safe. When people like you come in and they meddle, they make things more dangerous. This woman, she upset the spirits. She upset the spirits and now they're angry and they want more blood. Stop meddling. Just get out of here. And you see this man is like, he, he, like his voice cracks, like he's nervous to be speaking up because he doesn't know if he'll just kill him for misspeaking. And you see the other guy is just like, you know, like tr- trying to shut him up. He's like, be quiet. When he is that rude, I will step a little closer to him, get up in his face, say, thank you for all the information. It wasn't that hard, now was it? And he falls back and crawls away, like starts to crawl back a little bit. And he's just like, next time you see somebody with a face like mine, you might want to be a little bit more polite. They might not be so nice as I am to just leave on your, shall we call it a request? And then I turn my heel and walk back to town. But before I leave the scene completely, I turn around one more time and say, so where is that cave exactly? And you see the guy, he's like kind of pointing close to where they're fishing. And he's like, you just follow this river all the way down there. And there's a there's an old cave. And most of us don't go in there. There's rumor of an ogre. Unless you bring it alcohol, he's sure to eat you. I'm not too worried about being eaten. Thank you. And then like it, that last part is way more perky than my threat from earlier and then i walked in that direction and you see they pack up their stuff and they begin to leave there's no way they're gonna continue fishing in this spot after that these fishermen point you in the direction of this rumored cave and you can still hardly see 10 feet in front of you because of this very very thick fog but nevertheless they point they point ahead and they just kind of like begin to pack up their supplies and uh, head back into the direction of town. On my way to the cave, I'm 
even more wary than I already was on my way to the town. And as soon as the f- I'm completely out of sight of the fisherman, I will draw my scythe just in case. So you draw this scythe. Is there anything like interesting about this scythe? I assume it's like a farming scythe that you hold in two hands, but is there anything unique or uncharacteristic about it? Yes, actually, there is over the... Because the scythe itself, it, it's mostly blade, but closer to the handle, there is a small symbol on there of a kitsune mask. And I think that maybe due to other things that the scythe has already done to me or done for me, and I have already done with the scythe, I actually started engraving little depictions of its history around that kitsune mask so that's how i keep track of of my progress as a yokai hunter so you like carve in the the yokai that you killed basically or yeah but i think i do that more on the uh, on the wooden handle rather than the blade itself because yeah engraving a blade that's a special skill i don't have but engraving a wooden handle is something i can do So you're gripping this scythe as you begin to walk through this fog. And you can see to your left side, there's this very, it's not very shallow, but it's this somewhat shallow uh, running, I guess it would be a creek or no, it's, it's a river. It's like this very small, shallow river that the men were fishing from. And you can hear it bubbling to the, the side of you. And it's very gray outside right now it's still daytime but it's just raining and in gray and you know very kind of like foggy and you're beginning to smell these like the the smell of just like the grass getting completely soaked and that aroma kind of coming up and as you continue on for about maybe three or four miles you're beginning to grow doubtful of the rumor of the cave when you start to just see this stone edifice in front of you, this side of a mountain face where you can see a dark opening ahead. I slow down to a stop. I I want to be dry and I know the cave will be drier than outside at least. Maybe some dripping from the, from the roof of the cave, but that's about it. But I first want to check out if I hear or see anything in and around the entrance to the cave. Where you stand right now, the cave is about, I want to say, 100 feet in front of you. And it's still very dark. You can just barely see the opening of this cave, but you don't really see anything around it. As you get a little bit closer, maybe it's like 75 feet ahead of you now like just a little bit closer you can see where there was a fire pit and it's completely just washed away from the rain but you do see like the the dark ash where there was once a fire pit and you see along the outside there's an abandoned well it's overgrown with vines that wrap all the way around the posts and the the small roof that's over the well And you can see the roof is riddled with holes and it's in like a state of disrepair. This area itself is very overgrown and you can tell that people don't really go over here. There's 
hasn't been a trail for quite a while and it's kind of just like wild at this point yeah i still i keep pushing myself to creep closer to the cave you continue to walk on further and as you get close enough the cave is about 25 feet away from you at this point it's still far enough in your distance where you're like just observing it but you can like see the inside you're you're like you're facing the opening of the cave and you can see it very clearly at this point even though there's very thick fog and you can see that deep deep inside of the cave as far as you can see through the opening before it begins to wind around and sort of uh take this bend and you're not sure how far it goes on after that bend mind you either but you can see this glow coming from inside and it's flickering as though a candle or lantern is lit on the inside of this cave uh, and it looks like it's coming from very deep within the cave. Is there something I can roll or do to try and sneak closer to that flickering light? I can imagine that I try to at least walk as close to the wall as possible while also holding a scythe in front of me, which is probably a little difficult. So I might at the moment have it as just in one hand instead of the required two. Yeah. I will let you do that as either a self-control roll or a courage roll. I think both can make sense. A uh, courage roll can make sense because I feel like this is a very uh, threatening situation to go into this rumored cave or this this cave that has like all of this kind of like legend around it as having a an oni inside, which you know is nothing to mess with because these are these are big things you know they usually stand pretty tall and very blood hungry so uh courage would make sense or self-control because it's a tough maneuver to carry the scythe and to traverse this cave and it would require like a lot of self-control so willing to risk risk it a little on this roll so i'm gonna add a cursed die which is 1d8 to See if I can get something higher than with just 2d6. And I can. Let me check. Because if I roll higher than my curse resistance tracker, I lose one curse. And I did because I rolled a four on my curse die, which brings my curse resistance down from a three to a two. But you still gain the benefit of of like getting to use the d8 though, right? Like it's still... That's, I didn't yes. really understand how the curse die works, but that's pretty cool. I, I do like that. Yeah, so it says you can add a curse die, which is 1d8, and discard the lowest result, which in this case is a 6. So, uh, well, which in this case is actually the curse die with a 4. Um, then 6 plus 6 will remain as 12 plus 2 is 14, which succeeds uh the cursed die cannot be used in advantage blah, blah. basically it just says you do you just you give yourself an advantage basically okay excellent so so yeah that's like a great role though so what are you trying to to do like and because you know whatever you're attempting you're you're doing pretty well at accomplishing it with a check like that i try to scale the wall creep close and hold the scythe in front of me, like across my body. But now with just one hand, trying to very actively 
try and very actively place my feet on the right uh, on the right spots, but because I don't know if there's one rain woman over here or maybe multiple, if there is maybe an ogre or a goblin instead, it does take a huge amount of courage for me to put my foot, my one foot in front of the other. I've not been a yokai hunter for super long yet. So this is actually quite a big deal, which is why I rolled on courage. Excellent. So... You're maneuvering through this cave very methodically, and you're just hitting all of these steps with precision, and you're making very little sound as you begin to creep closer and closer, still riding the the side of this cave, still hiding yourself in the, the shadow. And you see this light beginning to get closer and closer, and you peek around this the bend of this cave still like hugged up against the wall and very much hidden in the the shadows and you can see this lantern lit in a clearing in the cave and you just see this pile of dismembered bodies littered all across the the ground on the cave and it's just arms legs torsos just And quite a bit as well, probably a couple dozen different bodies, just all torn up and and basically dismembered all over the the floor of the cave. Do the bodies have childlike proportions? No, they appear to be men, almost entirely men. Uh, You look around, you don't see a female body amongst them, but they appear to all be adult men. Okay, good for the kids, not good for me. Is there any... Thing, anybody else or anything else close to the fire or is there a, a weird empty spot or something like that looking around the, the corner and kind of looking past the carnage that's on the floor of this cave you see this very crude uh, steel pot it's off into the corner of the room and it's very very large and you actually see a leg hanging out of the pot um, it's not burning currently. Um, you do see where a fire could be lit under it, but there currently is no fire under it. The only light is coming from the oil lantern that's just resting on the floor. And you smell this horrible rotten smell as you turn that corner in the cave and the fog is beginning to creep into the cave as well. I don't like this. Or at least that's what I think to myself. As I take one of my rice bowls and toss it closer to the oil lamp just to see if there's a reaction. You toss the rice bowl and you toss it in a way where it's not going to, you know, you kind of like lob it in an interesting way that it's not going to look like, oh, it came from that corner of the room. But you don't get any reaction. You don't hear anything move. You just hear the rice bowl shatter and, and roll. But you don't, you, you, there's just silence after that. Do I see whether the cave continues further on from this section? Yeah, you see it does continue further on. You don't see that there's any light going on further on. So it's very obfuscated. Like this is the brightest part of, of the cave. Like where you are now, looking back, you can see like that the entrance is kind of far farther away you can still see to to where outside is just by turning and looking 
but you're at the point now where you're going on the, the bend. So the further down you go this way, like you won't be able to see outside at all because that will be back in a corner. But it does appear to go on further and you're not sure how much further because it's, it's too dark. Using the same technique as he used to enter the cave, I will go around this section of the cave and try and find where it goes on. Okay, so you continue to walk along the the side like wall of this cave and even when you pass the point to where like the the lantern light no longer shows you what's ahead, you can just kind of use the walls of the cave to like find your footing and to make sure you're not going to like step into a hole or like bump into a wall or anything crazy like that because the further on you go it begins to be pitch dark and you're at a point now where you look behind and you can still see the light of the lantern but ahead of you is just complete pitch darkness and it's still very much silent except for some kind of like raindrop sounds that you hear as water from the top of the cave falls to the bottom and there's like a little bit of water at the very bottom of the cave it's very very shallow though it doesn't even cover your feet no, it doesn't cover my feet, but walking through water will make more sound than walking on stone. I think I will still press on. I have those matches stored away. They may be a little wet by now, but who knows? I may have tucked them far enough away from the outside of, of everything for them to still work. All oh, those plus 12 matches, those are dry as a bone. <laughs> yeah, those, are, those plus 12 matches are perfect. Those plus 12 matches that may have been infused with something that just repels water. Yes, those two. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to continue. Keep doing what I do, trusting the wall of the cave more. I'm debating going back for the lantern. The thing is that if I go back for the lantern, it will give away my position immediately. Then again, if I don't go back for the lantern, I cannot see. Without sight, something can sneak up on me easily. So I will go back for the lantern, pick it up and take it with me, trying to shield it a little bit with the piece of cloth that I took from the barn. Perfect. Yeah. So you go and you get the lantern and it's not, you know, that much far of a backtrack. So you just go and you pick it up off the ground and you're kind of relieved that as you like take this lantern with you away from this scene of horror you can no longer see the dismembered corpses that were in that clearing and it lights up your path and you're relieved to be able to see where you're headed and you continue on in the cave until you reach a, a spot where the tunnel that you're currently in begins to approach an opening and you can see just dimly lit from this lantern that you hold in front of you ahead of you is this giant grotto inside of the cave. And you can hear like this rushing water and you look and it's like this enormous blue pool in the cave. And the water appears to be hot or something because there's this steam that's just constantly rising out of this blue pool of water you see ahead of you. And you feel this warm, warm clamminess as you get closer to this area. and as you look about this opening and it's a pretty it's a pretty big opening 
Uh, it's much larger than the other areas of the cave you've seen so far. You see inside of the water a creature. It appears to be about eight or nine feet tall, and it's sitting inside of this grotto, its arms um, stretched up over the sides of the grotto like a person relaxing in a hot tub almost. And you see it's this enormous blue oni, a, a blue ogre with these small horns and this very grotesque and hideous face with sharp teeth and tusks poking out and protruding. And you see next to it, on this stone ledge where it's resting its arms, this large club, almost bigger than you, lays down on its side. And it's almost just like relaxing in a giant hot tub. You see him leaning back, his eyes closed. He doesn't notice you at all. And he's just enjoying the rushing waters of this grotto. Does the cave extend further than this grotto or is this basically a closed-off system? It looks like this is where it closes off. Unless there's something underneath the water or kind of like behind this rushing water. Uh, But you don't think so because this water is almost like illuminated. It looks like there's like a light in there or something that's just making the whole thing shine and light up. And it actually gives you a clear view to just the enormous size of this creature that is seems to be enjoying like a leisurely swim. Well, I have heard that the townsfolk were scared of an ogre in this grotto. It's not what I'm looking for per se, but I cannot leave I cannot leave a city or a town tormented by an ogre. So hmm. I'm going to approach the ogre quietly from the side of his club, trying to drape that piece of cloth that I have over the club, hoping that an ogre is dumb enough to not know that something is underneath a piece of cloth when he sees it. Okay, I really like that. So give me a, a a wisdom check. I am scared, so I am going to once again roll a cursed die. I can do this two more times, so I better use it wisely. Oh boy, am I glad that I did. Uh, It will cost me one of my cursed dies, or my cursed resistance, because I rolled an 8, which clearly is higher than a 2. But it does mean that I can discard a 2 and actually get an 11. So... You very seamlessly drape the cloth over this club and it just perfectly blankets the very large club. And you see it, it it has like a few spikes on it, but it's this very blunt looking iron club. And part of you wonders who would forge such a thing for such a horrible monster. But the blanket just covers this, this weapon The monster is still laying with his eyes closed and the bubbling of the grotto masks any sound you might have made and he still is completely unaware that you're there. Well, my stats tell me that I am courageous. So I'm going to get up from where I'm hiding and approach the ogre. How communicative are 
ogres? Like, are they... I, I can imagine that certain yokai can actually be talked to and certain yokai cannot. How does an ogre range in that? Oh, they can definitely talk. Uh, they can talk. They can bargain. They're very cruel and brutish, but they very much can talk and be communicated with in regular language. Okay, cool. Then I'm going to walk up to the edge of the pool and say, hey, mind if I join in? You see the ogre opens his eyes and he looks alarmed and you see like his big giant arm rises up to, to grab the club, but he looks around and he, he can't seem to notice where it is. And he just goes, huh? And you see, he just begins splashing kind of violently in the pool, trying to gain his balance and, and perhaps find his weapon. But he stands up tall at this point. And you can just see he stands well over nine feet, probably closer to 10 feet. He's tall enough to almost touch the top of this cave. And this cave has like a very high ceiling or not very high. It has like a 12, 13 foot ceiling. Oh, are you looking for the club? Oh yeah. Um, I thought you would maybe respect me a little more if I managed to slice that away from under your nose. He looks at you surprised. Ha, a hunter. Quite a ballsy one too, I must say. You dare approach me in my own home? I'll squash you like a grape. Well, thank you for the compliment. Um, I don't know if I'm here for you. I don't think so. So we can also just make a deal where I leave you be, give you your club back, and you give me information and let me leave this cave alive. He begins laughing and you can hear the reverberations of the laugh begin to shake the cave. Why would I ever make a deal with someone like you? You have nothing to offer me. I don't even smell any alcohol in here. You haven't even brought me a gift. No, and I'm very, very sorry for that. But without me... You will never get your club back. And I can only imagine that that thing is worth quite a bit for you. Ugh. And he begins looking around, trying to find it. And it's pretty convenient. The blanket is almost a grayish, uh, dark color, and it blends in with the stone of the surrounding. And if you were just looking around, you might not have even seen it yourself. It's it's pretty, pretty good cover. And it's, Definitely enough to fool a dumb ogre. But he's growing very frustrated. I'm tired of this game. Show me where it is or I'll break you. Give me some information and I'll show you. Do you want to know how those villagers tasted? Not particularly. I want to know where the kids are. I only eat fishermen. <laughs> and you see, he goes to grab for you. And I'll need you to make a sharpness roll that's a five so he's actually he's not attacking you so you don't have to take the the difference in damage he is trying to pick you up however though so he's going to be walking over to where you are and he's trying to put his his big blue hands on you to try to try to pick you up and squeeze you 
Um, and he's able to, to just get close enough to you. And like, he puts one arm on your shoulder and the other arm under your other armpit. And he's trying to just like pick you up off the ground and you feel yourself starting to tip over a little bit as he's just like handling you. But you get the sense that he's almost playing with you. Like this is just some kind of cat and mouse game for him. I've always wanted to taste a hunter. It's been a while. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, no need to be so, ah, no, there's no need to be so rude. Put me down. Like I said, I just want to know where the kids are. I know you didn't do it. He's holding you by your foot and uh, just like right over the water. And he's just like, I don't know of any kids. There, you have your information. Now, what will you give me? I can swim, you know, just like put me down. He squeezes your leg very tightly and you begin to just feel this like tremendous pressure as you feel your... You feel like a bone crack and it's not enough to, to like to break or anything like that. But you just get the, the sense that you're just in the jaws of life right now. And if he wanted to, he could just break your leg with his grip. But you feel also like the water is right underneath you and almost to the point where you could reach down and like touch the water. That's how close to the, to the water you are. Okay, okay, your club is right there. And I point to the piece of cloth that is covering the club. Still holding you very reluctantly, he looks at the, the blanket very curiously. And then with his other hand, he goes over and he just pulls it away very quickly, like almost like he's afraid of what could be underneath, like it might be a trick or something. And he pulls the, the blanket away and you see it fall into the water and it's just kind of you know, making this intricate shape as it just like sinks into the water. And he's just like, ha, and he puts you back down. All right. It deals a deal. And you see him, he's picking up his club and he sets you back down onto the, onto the rock gently. You know, I admire your courage, Hunter. Thank, thank you. Uh, um, one more thing. And according to the deal, you don't have to answer, but, There may be somebody encroaching on your territory. I've heard that there are rain women in the area. Do you know anything about that? I know only of the happenings in my cave. I do not venture into their town, and I eat those that venture here. You are lucky that you have been spared, for you happen to amuse me on this night. Otherwise, I would have dined on you as well. Any other spirits that dwell here, it is the fault of the humans that welcome them and bring them on with their behaviors. I care not for missing children. I just do not like the taste of them myself. You begin to annoy me, Fox. If you're not going to entertain me, then leave here at once. Yeah, I think I'm going like on my way out and I back away just keep on facing him as long as I can. An ogre is nice, but an ogre is also slightly too big for me to handle at this moment. Yeah, out of character, they're pretty high level. They're like a plus a D big one. So yeah, probably probably good call. Okay, so at least I now know one of the problems that this town is having is a big ogre. 
but I still have no clue where Yuri is. The only way is back to town, I think. So are you going to leave the cave? Yeah, unless there is a certain part that I'm pretty sure I have not seen enough of. You're pretty certain it's just a this one passage that leads into this big grotto, and it's kind of, that's it? Just enough for a ogre to make it his comfortable home. But you don't get the sense that this carries on into like a deep labyrinth or anything like that. It's just like a an opening in the mountain that this one ogre has managed to find a very comfortable home in. And it seems like he's made himself quite comfortable here. But for now, he's willing to let this small incursion slide because it was somewhat entertaining to him. The way that a lot of the yokai are, they are malevolent and they do like eat humans and do bad stuff like that. But a lot of times they, you know, they want alcohol and they want offering and tribute and maybe even just entertainment. So that type of interaction is definitely probably not one you're super used to having, but, uh, you know, sometimes that's just what happens. So as you exit this cave, you approach the opening again, the one that you walked through initially, and you see this fog is still very, very thick, and it's a little bit darker at this point. You hear crickets chirping in the background, and as you poke your head out of the entrance of this cave, you hear this loud crack echo through the swamp, like a rifle firing. And you see this bright flash in the distance as a bullet just hits the stone wall of the cave right near your head. And you, you hear a rock just shattering behind you as the bullet just makes its way through this wall. And when the smoke clears, you see off in the distance this young woman with a red mask, the very large red nose and demonic looking horns sticking out of it. Very similar to the creature you just saw inside the cave, except this mask is red, whereas that creature was blue and other small variations, but a similar style. And you just see she's standing there just pointing this rifle directly at you. I put up my hands and in one of them is my scythe. You see, she's beginning to reload this bolt action rifle and she's actually taken a knee to try to get a better aim this time around. You see, she's taking this very calm approach to this whole thing. Granted, you can't see behind the mask. You can't see what this person's face looks like. She matches the description of Yuri. And she's taking a knee and she she puts the sight of the rifle up to her eye. And she's taking aim again. Whoa, 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 Yuri. You're Yuri, right? Are, are you sure you want to do this? I'm, sh- I'm sure you don't don't want to do this. Don't do this. You hear the gun click again as she begins to take careful aim. And she lets loose another bullet. And it it just barely manages to miss this time. It's just so much closer. And it's like she's trying to gauge how close she is. The first one was way off. This one, she's much closer. This next one, I should be able to do it. And she's just still taking a knee. She carefully just loads the gun again. 
while she is carefully loading her gun, I have time to rush and rush into her. Yes. So go ahead and give me a courage roll to rush into somebody firing a gun at you. Uh, but she is close enough where you could rush her with this scythe and, and get a get a drop on her. I rolled a nine. Interesting. Okay, let me think of something interesting for that nine. So you rush her with this scythe and you manage to kind of catch her off guard. She wasn't expecting that you were going to be approaching so fast. Like you move with a certain degree of swiftness and you get close enough to where you just kind of like try to slash her with the sl- with the scythe as you run by and you do manage to uh catch her and like it it cuts her on the shoulder and like it mostly just rips the the robe and the shirt but you can definitely feel that you caught some some flesh as well as you ran by but you feel like the scythe kind of gets snagged and it jerks out of your hands and you almost like run past a few feet without it not too far like you're not but you it's like it's out of your hands at this point uh it's beginning to kind of like slide off of her and tumble to the ground and you're basically standing a little bit ahead of her and she's behind you a little bit with her back still turned because she was facing uh where you came from to shoot at you um so she's starting to try to prop herself up and turn around you notice that she's moving very lethargically and very slow and sluggish and she's going to try to fire the gun at you she's aiming from her hip so basically like she's she's not like uh pointing it with the sights again she's just like holding it at her side she's still somewhat close to you and she's just going to try to like fire it into you but it's kind of like clumsy she wasn't really able to like take good aim and you kind of get the impression that she may not be like super skilled with using the using firearms. It's like a very large and long rifle and um she, you know, she looks very petite and she she does look like she's managing to hold this rifle okay and she the way she was taking aim, she certainly is like methodical about it. But right now she's just trying to fire from her hip. Um so go ahead and give me Give me a self-control roll to try to um, to try to like dodge this in like a in like a way that's not going to put yourself at risk. Nope, that's a seven. Okay, so you take three damage as the as the bullet kind of blasts, and you feel it kind of cut you on your side near your stomach, um, and it feels like it's probably just a flesh wound, but you feel this sharp pain as the bullet just rips through you and goes straight out the other side. And it's like, you get this sense of shock and this sense of just like burning heat as the sizzle just kind of cuts right through a, a fatty part of your stomach. But where you stand now, you've managed to get hold of the scythe again before it tumbled to the ground. And you can go ahead and and make another attack on Yuri, or you can try to run off, uh, whatever you'd like to do. She's going to be taking a second to try to reload and probably try to get a better shot this time around. Because she is so slow and sluggish, I'm doubting whether I'm still facing her or something that is just using her body. And to be sure, I want to try and flip off her mask using the tip of my scythe. Or I... Could I 
No, I want to do it with the tip of my scythe. Okay, I won't make you roll for that. You take the scythe and you just flip this red ogre mask off of her face. And what you see is this bloated gangrene face of a young girl. Her eyes are completely white and glossed over. And she just appears completely dead. Her face has these lesions and cuts on it. And it looks almost like it's been submersed in water for years. Just very, very decrepit. And you see a few flies fly out as the mask falls from her face. And with a cold, dead stare, she begins to reload the weapon to try to take aim at you again. If I can reach her face, I can reach her neck. I try to behead her immediately. Cool, cool. Okay, Um, so give me a courage roll plus your weapon bonus. So with my weapon bonus, my bonus on the complete roll becomes a plus 15, and that makes my total a 22. Okay, so this is a level 12 monster. So I think that actually might mean... Okay, so the difference between 12 and 22, so I think you do 10 damage to it because you've attacked greater than its difficulty level. So if I'm understanding it right, you you do a scythe attack for 10 damage. Um, so you greatly wound Yuri as you just take a sweeping blow with the scythe and it just cuts her right in the neck and you just see like this blood kind of squirt out and it it splatters the the leaves that are beside you on both sides and it almost like makes this fan of blood spray as she kind of just takes this wild 360 degree turn and tumbles to the ground but she's beginning to get back up you see her cut neck it's like this very gaping open wound and her head is kind of just like hanging by a thread at this point from the stub of her neck and you see that it just starts to her neck just starts to extend like a snake and it's just growing up and up and up like her head is just floating above you it's extended from her body and it's the neck part is grown around like a snake and she's just like twisting around and you just see this long tongue coming out of the head coming out of the mouth and it's trying to approach you and lick your face. And I'm going to need you to give me another courage roll. It's winding around to try to coil around you. And you can just see the grotesque head of Yuri. It's almost like it's floating midair, kind of like a snake dancer, the snake in a basket thing. It's just like, it's just like moving around like a cobra. Okay, great. And you got a 10. So you're able to just swing your scythe around and you cut you cut the uh, the neck of this beast and blood squirts out and the head of Yuri falls and it rolls. And you see the body doesn't go back to normal. This long neck is still it just it just falls onto the onto the dirt and there's blood squirting from it, kind of like pulsing out. What is the head doing other than rolling away? How certain, basically what I'm asking is how certain am I that I killed this creature? The head has this maniacal expression on it, although it appears to be lifeless. The eyes are opened in this maddened stare 
and the tongue is sticking out and it has this very grotesque grin, but it appears to just be completely lifeless. Although it resembles no human head. It's very, very disturbing. For good measure, I will do at least one thing, and that is cut off the tongue. Because I know that uh, these creatures or these spirits like to lick up rain. So if I disable that, then it probably cannot regenerate. So for good measure... You reach down and you cut out its long tongue, much longer than any natural tongue. Do you keep it with you or do you discard it? I think I throw it away somewhere. Maybe I will, no, I will bring it with me and bring the head with me as well as evidence of what I found. And then we will dispose of it properly at a different place at a later time. Excellent. Do you take Yuri's mask with you? Yes, definitely. That cannot be staying with this creature excellent so i think what we'll do is we will fast forward in time a little bit you're back at your farm ken has come to visit you a few days after you return home your female neighbor was one of the first people to come greet you she was very excited to see you come back and um she tells you i was really worried about you i i had a strange dream I was just worried that you were in some kind of trouble, bandits, or it was just a weird feeling, but I'm just so glad that you're home and that you're okay. And, um, you know, so that's good. Um, it's, it's not long after that Ken comes by to visit you and figure out how things went. Keep in mind, this is still a time where communication travels very slowly. So he needs a full rundown on what on what happened and uh so he comes and he visits you while you're working in the farm again and he asks can we speak inside something important i need to discuss with you yes of, of course um come in or please follow me you guys go inside and you sit back down to talk in the same spot where you talked the previous time and ken kneels down and he takes off the ape mask that he was wearing outside and he places it on the table. And you see the scar across his face. Well, what have you learned? A couple things. The town has a cave with a blue ochre in it. Who is up for a couple games um, and has a craving for alcohol and men flesh. So somebody better than, better equipped than me probably needs to deal with that or we need to go together. Something like that. Other than that, when I walked out of that cave, I was attacked by Yuri, or at least what was left of her. I dealt with it. So that is the that was the Rain Woman. It was her. Very unfortunate. Do you have her mask? Of course, I couldn't leave it at such a such a place. And I open a cabinet where I stored the mask and the head. And in a drawer on top of it is actually the tongue laid out. And I grab the mask and hand it over. You see, he looks at the, the head and the tongue. He has like an almost disturbed look on his face, but he doesn't say anything. And he takes the mask and he stares at it. It's truly sad. I'll have to pass this on to the society. They'll be deciding who gets this mask next. I wish it didn't have to end this way. Me neither. I 
the even in that state, she was a good shot. I would have liked to let, get to know her better, but it was meant to be. And Ken stands up and he puts the ape mask back on his face. He stands very tall. And you see he he slips his sandals back on. And as he's in the doorway, he turns around and he kind of stares back at you. Until next time, friend. And he just begins walking down the street. Why don't you take a look through our growing catalog of one-shot scenarios to find out about Chronicles of Darkness, Delta Green, Call of Cthulhu, 13th Age, Eclipse Phase, Rogue Trader, Slasher Flick and probably even more. <laughs>